Well, this I expect to be the next to the last lesson in this series, and uh, we'll begin as I did last week by reading John chapter 3, John 3 verses 6 and 7. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit, and that's the new birth, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So what we're seeing there is two completely different natures. If I talk to you about water and oil, if I talk to you about Lead and nitrogen, you'd know we were talking about two very different things with very different characteristics. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, something very different from that which is born of the spirit. Uh, As we are considering the new man, the spiritual life implanted in us uh, when we were born again, we're taking a very different approach, again, from what we did in the early portion of the series in the early part of the series, we, uh, we considered the promises, the guarantees that God gives to us of eternal life. And I would compare that, in a sense, with examining carefully the warranty on a new car. What are they going to cover? And God basically says, I'm covering it all. Eternal life is eternal. It doesn't vanish away. It doesn't corrupt. It doesn't, uh, doesn't die And so we have those promises. Then we also considered some of the scriptures that have been twisted. Uh, I can say misunderstood, and I think very often that's correct. I'm not sure that's always the case. I think sometimes there is a conscious decision to twist the scriptures on the part of religionists. But uh, when we look at those things, it's rather like addressing the arguments of people that want to take the warranty on that new car. Now, there is a dealership that I won't name. I didn't buy, we didn't buy our last car from that dealership. I've had mechanics tell me if they have to buy parts, they go across town to buy parts instead of going there. They will lie to you there. Suppose a dealership looked at the warranty and said, oh, no, that's not covered. You're going to have to pay. We're going to recover some costs in this beyond what the warranty would cover. And... So we look at those arguments against what God has guaranteed, and it's kind of like listening to the arguments and refuting the arguments of somebody that wants you to pay for something that's already paid for. And then looking at the new creation life, which is what we're doing now, it's, it's more like examining the car itself. I was going to talk about two different kinds of cars because, you know, good illustration, uh, I, I could talk about the... I can't remember what Henry Ford called his first car, the Velosa something. Not a Velociraptor, but Velosa something. And and then compare that with a Rolls-Royce. Do you know, by the way, that Rolls-Royce makes an $8 million car? Do I have any takers? No. Okay. Well, you look at the, you look at the vehicle itself. You, you look at the ratings. You find out that this one is just a piece of junk. It's going to go bad on you. This one is very popular, but it also is a piece of junk that's going to go bad on you. And so when you look at the new life, you're examining what God has done, what he's given to us, what we possess. And we see that that guarantee he has given isn't just words. 
It's based upon, it's grounded in the fact that what we have is durable. It's well made, as it were. It's sort of like looking at the, not just at looking at the vehicle, but looking at the engineering specifications and this, the uh, manufacturing techniques. And you see, yeah, yeah, the ironclad guarantee, but I'm not going to get much work out of that because it's, you know, nothing's going to go wrong with this vehicle. Now, if instead we consider the old man, the old creation, the flesh, and the flesh nature, we're considering something very different. Again, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's one thing. That which is born of the spirit, that new creation life is spirit. And the flesh is corruptible. You know, you buy a banana. It's, it's yellow with some green on it because you don't want it you know, too ripe when you first buy it, especially if you buy several. But you know what happens to bananas, Right? Bananas are corruptible and they go pretty quickly. Well, the flesh is corruptible and beyond that, it has already been corrupted by sin. It, the flesh has failed. It is weak. It does not improve. If you're looking for something worthwhile, don't be focusing on the flesh and its failures. Focus on the new man, the new creation. And those who focus on the false idea that we can lose our eternal life are really focus, focusing on the old man and his deeds and his failures. They're focusing on the flesh. And if that's where your focus is, you don't see what you have in the new life God has given to you. And so to know the details of the spiritual character of what God has given to us in the new birth, we look to the new man, the eternal spiritual life that God has given to us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, we read, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, the flesh is corruptible. And because it's corruptible, you know, anything you see, an apple, a banana, Whatever, if it can rot, it will rot. The flesh has been corrupted by sin. Not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass. That's the old nature. And all the glory of man, the best that people can do, is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers. And his flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. It doesn't just say this word is the gospel. This word was preached to you by the gospel. And we'll get to that in a moment. But verse 23 again having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The Greek word translated corruptible means about what you would think it means. It, it has to do with things that can decay, things that can perish. The word incorruptible has to do with things that cannot decay and cannot perish. You were born again of something that cannot decay, cannot perish. And uh, do you think God wants us to know that? 
you think he wants us to understand that the life that we received, we received really is an eternal life that is not going anywhere, that is not going to diminish? He didn't set us up to fail. He didn't bring in a new creation that can fail. There would be no point in that. If we can fail, we will. Do you understand that about yourself? I, I, I doubt that there's anybody here that doesn't get the fact that I, you know, doesn't matter how determined I am not to do something stupid or wrong. or I will, eventually. God wants us to know that this new creation doesn't fail. It's, it's uh, contrasted with perishable grass that withers. Have you looked at your lawn lately with the drought? I mean, most lawns that I see, unless they've got an irrigation system in place, they're big brown spots in them. And... Uh, so verse 24 says, all flesh is as grass. So, so there's this dramatic contrast. Grass, it can just go any time. But the new creation, not that way. Uh, God wants us to see the difference in the character between the old life you were born with originally. In my case, you know, almost 76 years ago. <laughs> The difference between that life and what I received about five years later when I accepted Christ. And uh, we want to consider the character of what God has given us in order to have a fuller assurance. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that just looking at the promises of God, which we have done, is not enough to give you assurance. It should be. If you just believe what God has said, even if you don't understand the details or the whys or the hows, or it should be enough. Faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and faith believes what God says, and eternal life is eternal. So um, we, we, we recognize that, but we're looking at, as we consider the new creation, we're looking at another step. We begin to see that the reason our eternal life is eternal, yes, the promises of God are enough, but it's eternal because of its nature. It, it, it can't, nothing can happen to it that people say will happen to it. It is incorruptible. It cannot decay. It cannot diminish. It cannot become less. It cannot wither. It cannot die. It cannot perish. It's not the flesh. And again, look at the foundation of this fact. The incorruptible seed we are born, uh, by which we're born again is the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word of God. The word of God that was preached to you by the gospel. What was preached to you by, or who was preached to you by the gospel? We, we read about the gospel of Christ, yes? Christ was preached to you by the gospel. And so the word by which we're born again is not just letters and vowels and consonants written on a page. It's not just, it's not just language. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's by whom. That's the how. That's the source by which you were born again. His life is imparted to us when we place our faith in him. His life. Not just a new beginning. Not just a, you know, turn over a new leaf. You know, get a fresh start. No. 
Rudyard Kipling, some of you will know that name, uh, quite, a, quite a writer, and I used to read a lot of his stuff, but be that as it may, he didn't really accept the Lord, but somebody talked to him on an ocean voyage quite a bit about the Lord, and his final conclusion was, it can mean something, and I'm, I don't remember his exact words, but, you know, what must it mean to a soul that sees itself as being born again? no. You can see yourself as a cat if you want to, but you're not, right? You have been born again. It's a reality, and it is Christ in you. Uh, in the beginning, John 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Word that was preached to you. It's God. He was in the beginning with God. And then you go to verse 14. And the word became flesh. Who is that? That's Jesus. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And so our life. Because it is derived from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is just as eternal. As everlasting. As incorruptible. As the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's not you know. There's some things in the scripture. I may get to this, I will get to this next week, where it says that we have been made the righteousness of God. If I didn't see that in the scripture, I'd say, that sounds a little strong. That's going a step too far. Well, it's the life of Christ that's been given to us. And uh, that life is imperishable. This not it, You see, this thing about eternal life is not just a pet doctrine that we hold and that some others don't choose to hold. It is what the Bible teaches. And uh, it is tied to the very person of him who died for you and rose again in newness of life, a resurrection life from the de dead. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. There's your new life. Now, that doesn't mean you've become this little robot and Jesus is pulling all the strings. Uh, it means that his life has been imparted to you. I've got a bit of old Adam in me, don't I? But... Christ in you, uh, the hope of glory. And that's the guarantee that we have. This new life, this eternal life, is eternal because it's the life of Christ. And then we read in 1 John 5, and the beginning of that verse, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now that sort of begs the question, exactly what does that mean, that I'm born of God? Well, it's very often the case that if you just look at the meanings of the words involved, uh, if you go to the Greek, you find out that the Greek word translated born is genio, and has to do with procreation, with begetting. I'm not turning to this passage, but if you go to Matthew 1, verses 2 through 16, you see the genealogy of uh, Joseph. And it begins by saying, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez, and it goes on. But the word born of God, born, is exactly the same word translated begotten. So 
Um, uh, how would we express that in another way? Well, the English Revised Version, uh, uh, published in 1881, and it's a pretty good translation, uh, and, and, and some other good translations as well, accurately render the first part of 1 John 5, 1 as whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten of God. God is your father. And when we speak of God as our father, it's not figurative. It is a literal spiritual reality. If you are born again, God is now your father. It's absolute. If, and, and you see it, you know, that phrase is used in, well, in Second uh, Corinthians 1-2, Galatians 1-3, Ephesians 1-2, Philippians Philippians 1, 2, 2 Thessalonians 1, 2, Philemon 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's Bible. It's literal. It's to be believed. If you're born again, you're begotten of God. If you're born again, God is your Father. If you're born again, something brand new and amazing has been placed in you. Uh, we read also when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and this isn't just something that's supposed to be repeated word for word, but uh, he, he was teaching them a framework. And a part of that was our Father, which art in heaven. That's what it says in the old King James translation. To help us grasp some of what that means, the fact that God is our Father, the Holy Spirit moved Peter to write in first, or excuse me, Second Peter 1, 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious. These statements that we see are big. They're, they're enormous. God is our Father. We're begotten of God. We have eternal life. Exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, through the desires of the flesh. Uh, the word translated divine is theos. Think of the word theology, which is supposed to be and seldom is a study of God and knowledge of God. But we are partakers of something having to do with God. The word translated divine, well, William Tyndale back in 1526 uh, put out a translation of the Bible. And he said we were partakers of the godly nature. And that's pretty close. Uh, Richard Francis Weymouth in 1902 published a, a translation. And it says sharers in the very nature of God. And that is absolutely accurate. Big things. Again, if I did not see these things in the Bible, I would almost say that's a little blasphemous, isn't it? I mean, it's so big. It's beyond my capacity to understand. All I can do is believe it. And I think that most translators are a little bit nervous about that passage. They're a little bit nervous and uh, concerned that uh, some might choose to twist that and distort it so that we become gods. Remember Satan said, I'll be like the most high. Well, we're not going to take it that far. But we're partakers of that nature. You know, I was uh, born or begotten of a man by the name of 
William Jesse Franklin, commonly known as W.J. Franklin, because that's what they did back then. I saw a photo of him in his teens, and he was on his desk. It was under glass. It was upside down. I was looking at it, and I thought it was a picture of me. So when I was that age, I looked very much like my dad. Uh, my voice was very similar to my dad's. My son's voice. Well, some of you know this story, but at least once, maybe more than once, Lorraine called and thought she was talking to Joel. Now, I didn't, I didn't do bad things here, but Joel was very angry, and rightfully so. Another time, my brother called with some bad news and thought he was talking to me, and it was Joel. And Joel could not understand why Uncle Dean was telling him all this awful stuff. Well, I'll tell Dad when he gets here. What? I, I have a lot of my dad's mannerisms and, and was accused at one point by somebody that was kind of stupid, but I was trying to imitate my father. No. You know, even the way I, the way I think about things is genetic. I can't help it. You know, I, I have a lot of his characteristics. I am not W.J. Franklin. I do not occupy the place that he occupied. I don't deserve the level of respect that he had for some of his amazing knowledge of the word of God. I'm a different person, but nevertheless, I inherited his nature in some ways. And so it is with our place as God's children. We are partakers in the very nature of God. And don't forget, our God, by his nature, by who he is, by his very existence, he is incorruptible. And because we partake of that nature, this new life in us, not this flesh. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. But the new life is incorruptible. And so, I'm satisfied with that. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Again, we have his nature we do have some growing to do, don't we? In First Peter one or two, in verse two, the beginning of it. Well, I didn't get there. There we go. No, that's not it. I don't know where I am, frankly. Well, anyway, in there somewhere, maybe somebody can put me on the right slide. First Peter two two. As newborn babes, desire. There we go. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In other words, you're born again. You know, that little baby is perfect. It's not everything it's supposed to be, but it's exactly what it should be now. You're born again with a perfect life that can grow. And that growth is a choice that we have to make. There's the milk of the word. There's the meat of the word. When you're young... You take in the truths that you can take in, the milk of the word, and you grow thereby. If we choose not to take in the word of God on a regular... How many of you eat once a day? How many of you eat once a week? I'm not going there, okay? I'm not going there. I'm not going to take that any further. But if we don't choose to regularly take in the word of God... You got a Bible? You can do it at home. Take in the word of God 
we won't grow. If you go to 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm not turning there, but we see there people that apparently made the choice not to take in the word of God, and they are called babes in Christ at a time that they should have been mature. And so not everybody grows in the things of the new creation. They don't fully develop. Um, Ultimately, God is going to overrule those that make bad choices, those of his children. If you choose not to be his child, that's a final choice that you make. But if you're his child, there are some things, not everything. There's a matter of reward and loss of reward. There's a matter of closer or less close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are final decisions that we make in this life. But there are some things that he says, I have purpose to do this. When God has purpose to do something, unconditionally, he's going to do it. And so, ultimately, he's going to bring all who have accepted Christ to a place where they truly reflect, truly manifest, truly show forth the full character of that new nature. He's purpose to do that. And if we won't let him do it now, well, it will happen. Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Predestination. I'm not going to teach that lesson. I've taught it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a study, and it's worthwhile, and it's not at all what some imagine that, well... I'm going to give you a little tiny thumbnail picture of what predestination is about. First of all, he foreknew us. God chose us, we read in the Bible, according to foreknowledge. Those that are Calvinists, those that believe that you're predestined to be saved or predestined to be damned, it's just like God made this random choice and I'll just save who I want to, and the rest won't be saved, and we'll just, no, no basis for it except I'm God and I can do what I want. That just irritates me, that whole concept. We were chosen according to foreknowledge. What did he foreknow? He didn't, well, in Ephesians it tells us he didn't choose us as sinners. We were chosen in Christ. So in foreknowledge, he looked down through the ages. And he saw every single person that would accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and enter in by faith. And he said, all right, I am saying before anything happens, I am taking for myself every person who will accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They will be mine. They, I have chosen them according to my foreknowledge before they have done anything whatsoever. And only then does predestination kick in. It doesn't have anything to do with the unsaved. He chose us in Christ and he has settled purposes that he is going to fulfill, and I'm not going to go into a whole list of them. We're focusing on one thing, that he has predestined us to be conformed, that he's going to manifest Christ in us. Uh, he has be predestined us to be fully conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of his foreordained, predestined, purposes. Now understand this. If it were possible for one who belongs to him 
One who has trusted in him for salvation. One who has received the gift of eternal life. If it is possible for one of them, if it is possible, then the will of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God to do as he says he's going to do, the knowledge of God, because he knows all things, he chose us according to foreknowledge, all of those things would suddenly be very much in question. And I'll be frank, one of the things that I resent about the concept that we could lose our eternal life, it is utterly an insult to the person of God. It belittles his character, his foreknowledge, his purpose, the fact that when he says, I will do this thing, he will do this thing. And if I had been a child of God and then lost that salvation, God predestined me to be conformed to the image of his son, and I didn't get conformity conform to that image what's what's that about oh uh uh-oh I seem to I didn't understand what I boy that didn't work out the way I expected it to really that's not the way God works God will fulfill his purpose if you're a child of God he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son and I'll add another one from the book of Ephesians he has predestined you for the adoption of children, it says in the King James, but to the placing as a son. That's a part of the purpose he's established upon those who have eternal life. God has decided the destiny of each and every individual who becomes his child through the new birth. Everyone who receives the gift of eternal life. He set his will upon a future for us purpose to do good for us. And because he had set that destiny as his unchangeable will, there is simply no force, no being, no action, no inaction, no circumstance possible whereby those who have eternal life will ever cease to be his Nothing by which his purpose for us, his predestined will, would not be fulfilled. And I don't understand those that want to chase after that idea that you can lose your salvation. I, am, I know myself to the degree that I am unspeakably grateful to know that he has given to me the gift of eternal life. Amen.